Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Constantly read, look at what's going on. You shouldn't be passive and wait for content to be served to you. You need to go out and find it, you know, and it's all out there. And now there's no excuse because most people have access to the internet. There's podcasts like yours. You're, you're sport for choice. I guess the difficulty is actually filtering and, you know, but then you know, the more you do it, the better you become. You can't, you can't know, know everything. This is Dino Giannardi's author, advisor, and senior executive at Simply and Resex. Dino has many decades of experience within the hospitality industry and has had roles covering almost all aspects of supplying the industry. And in this conversation, we will cover technology, people, and food. We start with taking a deep dive into Dino's story and how he ended up in hospitality, food supply, and tech. Dino shares what he has learned the last two years and what he sees as the key challenges for hospitality and what his predictions are for the industry in the coming years. We talk about what he's doing to keep pushing his own development and making sure that he constantly learns and learns all the time. Throughout the conversation, Dino shares some amazing advice and insights which you can use to boost your own and your business performance. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter, packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. The conversation starts with Dino sharing his story and purpose. Enjoy. As I was uh, preparing for today's conversation, it became clear to me that the uh, it could actually be a challenge for us to actually cover everything I wanted to do today because uh, we have the we have a bit of an alchemist here when it comes to hospitality, food, people, and technology. And if that's not the four areas that you know maybe always have dominated hospitality, but they are so key right now to get the balance between those four right. If you put them a bit in a diagram, as I did, as I prepare for this, so. With that said, I think I would like you to welcome uh, Dino to the show. Welcome, Dino. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, it's a, a real pleasure to be on uh, one of my favorite podcasts. So um, uh, it's an honor, in fact. So thank you very much for inviting me. And I really look forward to having a chat today. Yeah, and, and thank you very much for, for mentioning that, Dino. I'm, I'm very glad that you it's one of your when are your favorite shows because uh, you was also, if we're going to listen to your story now, we're going to find out that you have a significant uh, background uh, over the last couple of decades in the industry, both from a supplier point of view, but also from a consumer point of view, but also as you have had your finger in operation as well. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation because we're going through such a, systemic shift in hospitality i'm starting to see it is like 
and it's happening you know maybe it feels very slow when you're in it when we look from the outside as many of my friends does that there's a lot going on in in your industry so for people that, that haven't heard about who you are dino and so on can you just give them like you know your your elevator pitch of your your story your background and how you ended up with being involved in hospitality for decades Sure. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm a very international person, as you know, my name suggests. I mean, my dad was half Greek, half Corsican, and my mother uh, Italian. And my dad was a journalist uh, initially with Reuters, uh, which meant that really the first sort of fifteen years of my life, I went where he went. So I lived in uh, various European countries, North Africa and the Middle East. Obviously, the headquarters was in the UK, so I was regularly coming back. Uh, at the age of around six, changed my educational path in the sense that I'd been going to French schools because that was my mother tongue, the language that my parents spoke to each other in, and changed to English because um, there literally wasn't a French school in the country I was in that was uh, considered acceptable by my parents. So uh, that was in Portugal, actually, when I, I went to, um, to school, to an English-speaking school, and then just stayed on that path. So in any country that we settled in, I'd either go to an American school or an English school or whatever. So to the extent that when I came back to the UK, uh, at one point I had an American accent and I got a lot of abuse, which I thought was strange because I wasn't American. So I, I soon lost that accent. And, you know, within maybe a few months, I, I have the accent that I have now, which is vaguely Southwest London, I guess. So um, that's where my accent comes. So now sometimes I get abused for being English or in various parts of the world so it's 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 strange but i feel very much very comfortable in any country and um i guess traveling a lot when you're young and living in countries gives you that open-mindedness and approach to you know you know you know very quickly you know when you're a kid if you don't learn the language you're not gonna have any friends you know it's as simple as that so you make a big effort and it's not just language it's cultural understanding and respect for the country that you're in and all that so um, I learned that at a very early age, and I recommend it to anybody if you have the opportunity to travel and live abroad in your career or you know as a tourist or whatever. It's 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 you know it's the best thing that you can do really for to open up your mind. You know, so can't recommend it more strongly enough. And you know, my kids have benefited from the same as well, which is which is you know uh, which is great. Um, so uh, my dad was a real gastronome as well, so he kind of passed a lot of things on to me about um, great food and ingredients, especially, you know, the importance of ingredients. So that's that, that, that's something that I picked up, you know, at a very early age. And then I guess in my teens, you know, he took me to some of the greatest restaurants in the world and in, you know, in, in places like France and uh, Germany, even and uh, Spain and Italy. Um, and literally wherever we went, you know, he'd, he had like a radar to find these places and often became friends with, you know, the owners or the chefs and, and so on. So, it, you know, he liked to, you know, when not working to talk to people that were involved in hospitality. Fast forward, when I was a university student, I worked in, in restaurants. Um, I did every, every job from, you know, cleaning toilets to, uh, you know, pot washer, and uh, I worked in kitchens, and I, I, I also worked in front of the house. So I, I got very early appreciation for how difficult the job is, and the long hours in the industry, and you know everything you and I know about about how 
how much work needs to be done to actually deliver a plate of food to to a table you know so um i've always had you know very great respect uh, and i you know and i've always viewed you know like a lot of people on the continent do um you know all the key uh functions within a restaurant as professions and and that's that's something that's maybe not universally accepted in this country where people still have some i think outmoded attitudes to to the hospitality sector you know so um you know there's some great hotel schools around europe as you know produces professionals and and, and most european countries have a conveyor belt of talented people you know who, who who are really trained and educated to to work to work in restaurants where uh, sometimes in the uk it's not necessarily people's first choice but at the same time people have you know created amazing businesses and careers out of the hospitality sector and um, it's an ongoing thing to to professionalize and attract young people to to the industry i think it, it never ends and uh, there's been various uh, high profile uh, campaigns you know um, fred syriax was uh, instrumental in that for a while and uh, i think there's a lot more work to be done there for sure yeah i've always had that interest but when i you know after graduating uh, I spent three years as a postgraduate in Paris, which uh, helped my academic uh, education, but also gastronomic education. Um, and then uh, I, you know, I started working in in technology businesses ever since. So that, that that's always been a feature. And then in the last fifteen years, I got involved in a few traditional food businesses. And then I found that you know um, a lot of the software businesses I were involved in would you know the our our customers were in the hospitality sector so i've I've never really been away at any time from restaurants um uh, as a as a you know professional person and as a consumer of course because i I eat out a lot and uh fascinated by restaurants and uh, interested in every aspect of of it from you know operationally to um you know the human the human resource side of things i think which is which is uh, it's very specific i guess in the restaurant sector you know and and bringing all that together and now being you're focusing on you know on the supplier side uh, primarily with technology and i i i'm i'm i've been saying a couple of times over the last 2 years that now the two biggest driver in hospitality is going to be people and technology that's going to be what drives the sector but if we just before we dive into this just uh, look a bit about for, from you with your views and your eyes looking at what's happened the last two years in this sector because you know when you're in it sometimes you just think that's what i do i'm, I'm just getting through it as one i guess said in, on the on the podcast uh, last week that you know i'm not even like really thinking about that's just where we are right now but think about the evolution that's happened and the speed that's happened the last two years and the systemic shift that's going on right now. What is your views on it, Dino? As a as a person that comes from the supplier side, what what are you seeing? What are the big shifts happening right now in hospitality, and what are they doing to the industry? Sure. Obviously, I think there were trends that everybody could see, you know. And then we we had the pandemic, and you know that in in some respects there there, there were there are positive. I know it's hard to say there's some there were some positive things about that because it. There was definitely a correction. I think there was oversupply of restaurants um, at probably every every level. Um, so that you know the, the natural correction took took place, and maybe 
you know, unfortunately may may take a little bit longer for it to, to be final. Um, but it also um, gave people time to think um, whether you're just an individual working there uh, in a in a in a QSR restaurant or fine dining restaurant at the other end, you know, about, you know, what you want in life, the quality of life and, and these sort of um, issues, you know, so-called work-life balance. And then as an owner um, or um, a uh, an investor, um, it gave you time to think about, you know, where, where, where is this business going forward? What, you know, what sort of things can we carry on doing? You know, what adjustments can we make? And we've seen an unprecedented uh, level of innovation. So I think the, the things that have accelerated are things like innovation. You know, there's been amazing stories, you know, from what how restaurants, you know, in, in 24 hours created a, a completely new proposition, which, which could be an at-home um, package or uh, changing the business slightly to, to um, offer groceries and, um, uh, you know, to become a, you know, because uh, there were there were times where you couldn't operate as a normal restaurant, and you couldn't have uh, guests in in your physical premises. So um, you know, people said, "Well, you know, we'll come to you." You know, and um, and a lot of those have survived now that things have opened up, um, and they, they've actually, in effect, created a new line of business um, because they were forced to. You know, so um, and it, I think it also gave people, you know, time to start thinking about their uh operationally their business you know and that's where things like software become become a factor because you can start looking at you know what you've got in place and saying well what is this actually doing for me is there any benefit is it solving any problems um the, the key jobs i need to do are they making my life easier or more difficult uh, because technology can be positive and negative you know there's a lot of technology out there which is just looking for a solution. But the reality is that as a business owner or somebody that works there, what you want is something that's going to help you do your job, save you time and allow you to spend more time with customers to, to give a better level of service. And that's it's fairly simple, really. But, um, you know, I remember um, talking to restaurateur some while back when I was involved in a company I was starting myself and um, he was employing software developers. I said, you're a chef owner why are you employing software developers he said well look i've got all these systems and they don't talk to each other and i need so i thought that's the way to do it you know i'm thinking what are you doing you know it's it's it's, it's bananas you know and that at that time i think the um the average setup in a restaurant was was quite antiquated you know and there's i think it's fair to say that the hospitality sector in in, in some areas was was way behind others you know um if you looked at other industry segments and that you'd see that they, you know, they use technology in a much smarter way. And smart is the key word, you know, because you can waste a lot of money with um, technology, you know, so. Um, so I think on the whole, I'd say that the last few years has led to an acceleration of, of a number of trends, you know, digitalization of a business is one of them, you know. Um, uh, and some of it has been forced really um which is often the only way that you can you can make the changes and start thinking in a different way needs must
And it's quite interesting that, you know, the, the transformation you've gone through. And uh, one of the things I've noticed is that that operators has uh, really gone through this innovation phase. They really just done it because they, I think maybe the conscious or unconscious, I don't know if you agree with this, have actually seen pain as their friend. Okay, there is this pain that we just need to, you know, embrace the pain and actually innovate if it's a at home thing, if it's changing our operation, if it's changing the way our sites is. All these things have just been because of this, you know, the uh, the pandemic put that incredible pain on us. If we see any positives in the pandemic was to actually we, we got more ready for the future than we were pre-pandemic because these things would have happened anyway is also what I hear you say. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the general trends in business, which also apply to the hospitality sector. I mean, um, you know, the, you know, the, you know, one of the biggest issues is is um, is staff. But it's actually um, an issue across the board. It's not just in the hospitality sector. There's demographic issues, and there's also, you know, that that um, you know we, we're gonna we're gonna need to use you know older workers going forward because they you know people are retiring um, later, and um, there's, there's there's certain demographic things in, in European, especially in European countries where. Uh, population has actually been decreasing uh, in real terms, um, and if you look at a country like Germany, you know the, the reason there's uh, quite high levels of controlled uh, immigration is because the economy needs it, and it's a sign of a healthy economy. People forget that, you know. So, um, you know, with with without the immigration levels in, in in Germany, you know, large parts of the economy wouldn't be able to function, and I guess what what we've seen here is that um, there's you know because of the combination of Brexit and the pandemic and so on, um, there's an issue with staff because so many staff uh, in the hospitality sector came from third countries, um, and um, this is something that you know it can't be resolved in o- overnight. You know you can't suddenly produce all these people. You know and you can you can encourage people to move into um, hospitality and so on. But I'm sure you've noticed that there's a lot of restaurants functioning with people that just don't have the experience and so on. It's not their fault, but they it's going to take them time to to get up to speed, to be trained, for people to invest in them. Um, and it's great that they've they've made the move. They should be encouraged. But, you know, there's going to be a period of time where things are a little bit unbalanced in that respect, you know. So uh, I think we as consumers need to be understanding um that um there's there's these gaps you know um and and that also translates into uh, you know i was reading today that you know the the ledbury which is you know going to reopen at the end of the month but you 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 see it they're going to do tuesdays to saturday dinner only uh with a set menu they're not looking at you know friday and saturday lunch until march so they they're having to do um, less with less resources, it, it, it makes sense, you know, because if they're if they're going to charge what they plan to charge for their set menu, then they still have to deliver a, a level of service and quality, you know, and um, you know that's that's at the high uh, at the high end. But you also see cafes, you know, in, in neighbourhoods where you know, their opening hours aren't the same. You know, they, they they used to open earlier, they used to close later, and and they're trying to manage with the resources they've got. So the that's happening. I mean, it's clear, you know, and um, 
So you you try and do what you can with the resources you've got, basically. Yeah, and I guess also it's uh, how do we actually may I've heard some restaurateurs, uh, and I don't know if this is a across the board, but also they found out because they suddenly was forced to think this way. They actually found out when they started looking at their numbers that it actually gave sense to have closed some of these days they were open before because it was like really demanding on their business, really demanding on their staff and uh, the profitability that came out of those days, maybe a, a Sunday or a evening or a Monday evening would not actually benefit them in the long term when they start to do the economics on it because they had time to look into things. And now they've chosen to make a business model where they don't have open those days and they may be open only five days a week, but it's a better business for, for everyone. Um, and that's that's quite an interesting evolution, I think, because in the old days, restaurants were not open from morning to evening, seven days a week. That was not how it was. And this is still how it works in France, many places. If you have an evening restaurant, you open in the evening and you may be open five days a week. No, it makes absolute sense. I mean, in France, again, it was driven by, you know, legislation regarding, uh, you know, working hours. So, you know, obviously they, they changed their business to... To, to, to be you know um compliant you know so compliance drove that here it's it's more let's call it a free market approach and people you know i think you're absolutely spot on when you say um you know business owners or managers could you know could take a step back and look and and and, and ask those questions you know should we be open at these hours or these days um because yeah we, we are a service industry but we can't be you know, a service industry losing money. Um, so obviously one of the key areas that you look at is labor and when and 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 how to deploy your labor in, in the most, most efficient way. So that's an area that's uh, quite very important to me because of uh, one of the companies I'm involved with. Another area is reservations. People had a kind of sort of lazy attitude to reservations and they thought, you know, well, if there's no shows, then, you know, we'll find somebody, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll run outside the restaurant and grab somebody in the street and bring them in, you know, and stuff, you know, which is not scalable, you know, so because the, the, the whole environment's changed, you know, so, so really, you know, you should be thinking about reservations in the same way as an airline, you know, it's, it's really about yield management, you know, how do you make sure that you've got every cover taken and it's, worth investing in that, you know, and, and looking at innovative ways to, to handle that. And on the labor side, um, it's a scarce resource. So it's it's something you need to um, manage even more carefully. It's something you always needed to do, but now there's no excuse. You know, you if you don't do that, then, you know, your, your business is in jeopardy, as they say. So, the, you know, these are two key key, key areas that, 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 that I look at, you know, and um, and then around that is it's, it's it's innovation around the offer. You know, I was talking to um, Will Beckett the other day. You know, the CEO and co-founder of Hawksmoor, which is an incredible business. And um, you know what they've done, for example, on Mondays, you know, with their five-pound corkage, um, is really great. I mean, and and it works for them. And it 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 it, it you know, sometimes I think it's attracted some new people into the restaurant, and then. It helps them feel good about the restaurant and get you know a, a kind of association with the brand and that. So it's 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 a very smart thing to do. And there's there's lots of things like that going on. Some of them actually started before 
the pandemic and that. So, so, you know, before you say, well, you know, let's close on a Monday, actually, what can we do to make sure Monday is full? I mean, one of the first people that did something interesting was Leonid Chutov, at, you know, the founder of Bob Bob Rica and uh, the second one's now called Bob Bob City, you know, where he introduced, you know, um, differential pricing. So you could go for lunch on a Monday and you'd be guaranteed guaranteed 25% less than lunch on a Friday or Saturday or dinner on a, you know, so it makes perfect sense, you know, because if you do your numbers correctly, you can still get very good business, but, you know, you have to accept a bit less on certain days of the week, but then, you know, your restaurant is three times busier than it would have been otherwise, you know, so there's, there's so many interesting things that you can do. Some of it is borrowing from other uh, sectors. So I think the people that have, looked outside of the narrow confines of their industry sector plenty of lessons out there and and, and um, the more open-minded you are the more you know uh, likely you are to find good ideas that you can apply you know so um, I don't think a week goes by without me finding something interesting going on in that in that, in that respect and again at every level you know whether it's quick service or you know fine dining um, people are doing that and, and it's very encouraging and um, I think it's a sign of health. Um, I also suspect, you know, as we've already seen examples of that, you know, when there's been lockdowns and reopenings and that, you know, there's there's huge pent up demand. And I think the pent up demand will really, really show up um, in, in probably around the spring of this year, uh, you know, based on what's going on with Omnicrom and uh, the government's attitude to keeping the economy open and so on um i think there's a there's a lot of people who haven't even been back to restaurants yet who will be going so i i, I would i would say um you know if i was to do forecast you know for most restaurants i, I would look very positively at what the the next six months are going to bring you know obviously winter's traditionally not the greatest time of the year january's never been great but um you know i'm hearing anecdotally people saying i've had the best january ever and we're only 17 days into the month, you know, and normally people are, um, you know, not drinking and uh, not eating, et cetera, et cetera, in the month of January. But um, I'm not sure that's the, uh, the situation on the ground. I don't know what, you, what you've picked up, but... Um... Yeah, it's quite interesting. It's very mixed messages depending on where your business is. Is it London or outside London? Um, and what have you done up to now? And I, I really loved your analogy, Dino, around think like an airline. Go outside and other sectors. I've also said to some people, think about how a tech company would scale. They wouldn't open a new office to scale. They will find out how their products can get in more hands across borders without opening an office. Um, and, uh, and I love the thing where you also said, yeah, it's also very important that you find your own algorithm because Monday could be a good day. So don't copy what others does really find out what drives your business. What is your secret algorithm? Uh, what, what do you need to put in the source to make your business model work? Because there's no business model that can compare one-to-one, even if you're in a quick service category, both of you. You know, I normally say uh, I've been there many times myself where people said, oh, can you come in and do that thing you, you did at McDonald's? And then I always said to people, no, I can't because you're not McDonald's. But you can be inspired by the, the concept of what they're doing. And then you need to break it down to your own thing, your own checklist, your own 
source and every all those things. And I think that's the really key things how to overcome things here is that you can't just copy and there's no like standard rules for how you find the best way to run your business. And, and I think if you would think about an airline, I think you should copy when it comes to reservation. It should be like Southwest Airlines. I love that company. Um, gone on for decades in the US and their planes are always full and they turn the planes around the quickest and there's still a discount offer, but you get a premium experience there. Uh, been flying with them myself. Uh, they are challenger brands within the airline. Now, how do you become a challenger restaurant within your city, within your niche, within the in the country? Yeah, I think one of the things that maybe a lot of people don't do, but I see more of it being done, is that a lot of the knowledge and ideas are actually already there. In you know, but you need to talk to different people in the business. You know, the you know the an assistant general manager, you know, may have a massively interesting idea and solution because they they know for example the neighborhood they're in you know they're the ones talking to customers every day so they you know they 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 there's a market research in-house market research already there you know and um i see i see um you know i see changes in 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 management you know how people are looking at employees you know in 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 in, in, a, in a different way because um you know, there's a lot of smart people who some of them are very well qualified who've you know entered the industry in, a, in the last four or five years but they've not really had a chance to apply their knowledge or education but um they they're the ones that have their sort of uh finger on the pulse if you like you know so you know you, even mcdonald's i mean you know you you know the yeah the mcdonald's on wandsworth roundabout which is a drive-through is completely different to a mcdonald's in um you know, in central London. Um, and, you know, it's obvious that um, when when less people are driving into to cities and, and, and stuff like that, they're going to, to drive through. But what's, what's specific? What can that McDonald's do um, differently to, to capture that, you know, that, that business, you know, because, um, you know, drive through can also mean drive past, right? <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's obviously um the corporation you know that you know that, that does the advertising and, and so on and set the standards and so on but individual managers have the ability to to affect the business for the franchisee or for their own personal uh career and and, and everything and and uh so it, it's it you know blueprints are can be unhelpful you know but they they can they can, they can serve as guides but there's there should be room for for innovation. I think you know that's the that's the thing. Whatever type of restaurant you're talking about, you know. it's quite interesting. You mentioned here that that's what I call freedom to to operate within the the this, the whatever concept systems you have, um, and it also is connected with the challenge you talk about. You know the the frontline employee and the shortage of of people in the industry, which really are the issue because that's mean you don't have the capacity to serve the demand in principle. And that comes again down to what you started out with in the conversation where you talk about this industry have, is is not maybe in this country or also in Denmark where I come in. And many countries, I think it's not, you know, it's looked at as a, a career path and especially not for the the, the new generation. So I think it always already a critical issue when I was starting out in the in the industry um but how do you actually besides you you know you can give people you know permission to operate with the standard everyone wants freedom within 
a framework. I normally say you can't just give them go and do something. You need to give them freedom within a framework. But what else can you do to become this, you know, how can the industry become an employer of choice again? How can we actually, you know, become that, you know, place where you actually start out? Because that's how it's been before for many that have started out in the industry and then gone and done other things or stayed in the industry, build businesses or whatever they've done. How do we get back to that perception in in, in society? Well, I think it's down to the, uh, you know, if, if you're setting up your own restaurant, it's a one-off restaurant and so on, it, 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 it's very important that you, you know, you have a, a philosophy that's going to attract people and hygiene factors, as they call them, you know, the terms and conditions and stuff like that. People need to to be uh, looked after and, and, you know, it's not just about pay, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's conditions. And you can see that, you know, like if you, I mean, I'm, uh, I look at um, restaurants where, you know, the, the, the owners get really involved with the, with, the, with the staff and they make sure they celebrate success and um, create a, um, uh, uh, an environment where people actually, you know, really want to come into work every day. You know, like a good example is like Honest Burgers. You know, they, yeah, I know, I know, I know the founders from when they were literally one little hole in the wall in Brixton Market and they've built into quite a considerable business now. But a key, a key point for them was, when they brought in um, a, um, I think of a very disruptive HR person, and I think I think HR is what allowed that business to scale the way the way the way it has. And uh, I don't have any data on them, but I know I know that there's that their staff retention rates are quite high, and they do things very differently. Um, they're very different to comparable players in the market. You know, and um, uh, on, 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 on another example is uh, Santa Maria Pizzerias. You know, so they they have um, incredible uh, staff retention rates, and I think that's down to the founders, the way that they they you know they do shifts, and they know what's going on because they're doing shifts. You know, they 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 work in the restaurants. Um, you know, they may not work, you know, the same number of shifts that they did when they started out, you know, and they were building the business, but they're in there. And um, I know it's, I know it's the same with, with, with Honest Burger. So these are two very, very, very different businesses. Um, you've got, you know, uh, you know, Frank Omanka, you know, which is, um, again, a business that started in Brixton Market, um, you know, but with a, with a sort of charismatic um, founder and, you know, scaling Neapolitan pizza to to that number of units is is no mean feat, you know, because of the nature of the dough and it's got to be proven and stuff like that. And and to keep the the quality levels high and the prices what they are is actually an amazing story. You know, I think it's now on a level with what Pizza Express did all those years ago. You know, um, with a much more difficult food proposition. Um, it's much more difficult to produce a consistent Franco Manca margarita than it was for Pizza Express, you know, uh, to do to do that. So uh, I, I'm a great admirer of these businesses that I've mentioned there, you know, and uh, not only from a business point of view, which is which is one thing. And I always differentiate, you know, when you look, when you look at a restaurant, you say, well, as a business, I admire you, but uh, you know, it's it's great if you can admire them as a business, but you can also admire them as 
as a consumer who actually likes to eat the product. You know, I mean, uh, um, it's it's uh, it's a remark. They're, they're remarkable, and there's so many remarkable stories. You know, and in, uh, in in the UK, and I think that's the biggest um, facet of the UK hospitality sector is, is the levels of innovation I talked about earlier. But now they've accelerated. Um, to you know to warp speed if you want you know so it's um you know you you you, you there's a lot of case studies out there you know um of interesting stuff going on so any budding restaurateur you know needs to take it take some time and look at what other people are doing yeah and i think the key word you said there as well dino was that it has to be different it's not just uh, looking what other do you need to find what's different again in the area of people compared to others that really, and also what you can be authentic about, you know, of course, benefit and compensation is quite, you can copy that and then it gets good sense to, to do what the best of the best are doing in that area, because it probably works if they're doing it. Uh, uh, if you are comparing like with honest burger and so on and so on. Um, what to, to become, you know, we're talking about how we solve this, uh, staffing crisis. Uh, what is tech's role in all of this? Because I see tech play a huge role in the employee experience, not only because it will give them a better overview, but also because it gives you a great experience as an employee that you can find things and you can connect with them when you want, in a way, true technology. Yeah, I think operators need to ask themselves some basic questions, you know. So is this software or technology or it could be a qr code you know is it actually firstly helping consumers then what's it doing for me as a business is it actually freeing up my staff can i then use my staff more efficiently to do what they're supposed to be doing um because you know in, in any restaurant there are people doing you know having to sort of um put you know um, plasters on on processes to try and make them work, rather than you know solving the sol solving the issues. You know, so these these are these, this is the way you should, should look at what what is this doing for me? Is it is it actually um, allowing me to do these distinct jobs that I have better, quicker, more efficiently, and and then the results of that are a better customer experience and. You know, you can't get away from you know profitability as well. You know, you, you know, I think um, you need to look at you know the return on investment on on on, on everything you do, and it's not you know um, there are enough people in the business that could you know can basically come up with an, an, an RO. Um, you know, there's always an, an accountant in house or outside that can help put together a return on investment um, a spreadsheet and and say you know what what, what are we benefiting from here actually or actually this is actually costing us more we're losing money because of this or, or or whatever or this is the justification for me to actually make a change you know if i if i did this then i'm going to get this return on investment if i deploy my labor in this way you know because it's based on actual data and and demand um uh, patterns then you know that's something that I really must do now because you know it's not like you're in a situation where there's unlimited labor. You know, the reality is someone's unhappy at work. They they, they walk out the door. They've got a job in ten minutes. Yeah, because there's uh, definitely somebody on the other side of the street ready to with open arms. Absolutely. Yeah, people are people are you know. Uh, so you know the 
supply does not get anywhere near demand. That's the situation we're at at the moment. You know, it's it's a um, it's a nationwide trend, but it's also not just in the um, uh, there's lots of other sectors. You know, truck drivers, delivery drivers, you name it. You know, there's there's there, there, there's even more doctors. There's there's, there's uh, you know people in the NHS. You know, there's there's you just look at where the vacancies are. You know, so those businesses have the same challenges i guess what hospitality is a people business in the sense that people you know visit restaurants and they're you know normally served by 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 people or they want to be served by people they'll accept a certain level of um uh automation you know like you know mcdonald's now i mean the majority of them are either you, you know you don't need to speak to anybody right you, you can go there and not say a word to anybody and still order your big mac meal right and you don't need to actually say a word, but that's one form of um, hospitality. But other people do like to have that interaction and sit down and spend the time and a couple of hours on the table and get to talk to uh, waiting staff or the owner of the restaurant or or, or whatever. You know, um, uh, yeah, it's 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 a um, it's a it's a it's a time of great opportunity. I, I hear a lot of people, you know, moaning and saying, you know, we're in deep doo-doo, et cetera. But I think, um, like always, you know, um, I've been around the block enough times to know that you know, even when there's a disaster, it's an opportunity to to rebuild, you know, uh, constructive destruction or whatever it's called that uh, um, the American economy is so famous for. And, um, you know, I remember the Lebanese Civil War, you know, I was there at the beginning of it. And then I, I came back 19 years later. Uh, it lasted for 19 years. In total. And then it was, you know, the ones that took the view like, well, we, we have to rebuild now. Um, and, and they went ahead and did it, but literally from the ashes, you know, it was, a, it was an awful war. And at some point, the same thing will be in Syria, Afghanistan and, and, um, and, and so on. But also, you know, European economies and, and regions have been, have been devastated economically as well. And um, there, there are opportunities, for sure. Um, and you are learning a bit to the, to the future. And you already said that, you know, over the springtime, summertime, we'll see the pent-up demand really increase, is, is your prediction as well. Is there any other things you, you can see, like if you had the uh, crystal ball that's going to happen the next 18 months in hospitality yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm a fan of the crystal ball but i i'd like to base a kind of an idea or a thought or a comment on you, you can see the, the the trend is already there so if you look at possible solutions to the staff problem it's clear to me that the government is kind of um, you know you know the, the, the thing about free movement and immigration and so on is purely a political thing you know anybody who thinks it's anything else is, is on a different planet as far as i'm concerned so you, you can see that it's going to become easier for people because it's it's a sign of the health of an economy you know any economist will tell you that that you know if, if people want to come it's it's a fallacy to think that they want to come here because of you know um, some kind of um you know, unemployment benefit or anything like that. I mean, do you know how much unemployment benefit is? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's ridiculously low and you can't live on it. And um, most of the people that take it are people that have been here, you know, forever. They're indigenous or whatever you want to call them. So 
you know, migrants come here because of the opportunities, you know, to, to work. And, and the fact there's vacancies, there is work, you know, they're not going to go to places where there's no work. You know, that it, it, it's, it's clear all across the world, you know, obviously, you know, wars and, and so on. And of course, there are people who abuse that, you know, and, and are just looking, looking for ways and maybe that what they want to do is not classic legal work and yeah there's always going to be an element of that but um i said i remember thinking you know when brexit you know sort of happened and that i, I think i think net net immigration will go up it's interesting because there because there is demand and often the market will regulate itself um so that, that that's good news and uh, let's hope for that but i agree in a way the market normally regulates demands. That's what we have to believe in if we believe in the invisible hand of Adam Smith. Um, what what is in uh, being on this journey yourself in the in the industry over the last two years? What have been your like most significant learning of all this? Because I guess there's been many. We all gone through lots of mindset thinking about how we want to work, all these kind of things. But what has been like yours, like biggest learning in all this? I didn't know how resilient a lot of these businesses were. I didn't know they could innovate that quickly and um, you know turn turn on a sixpence, as they say, or like a London black cab. You know, I, I'm a huge admirer of these businesses that have done that, and um, so I think I think there's a very healthy level of entrepreneurship and um, you know, business acumen, um, and you know I think it's. Yeah, the measures for that are look how many you know people are still looking to invest in the sector how many restaurant openings there are how many private equity companies are coming in to buy up um uh you know restaurant groups and and and, and so on so these are all all all, all signs so uh, you know my, my 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 sort of top level um learning is that the sector was actually a lot stronger than i i thought so i mean i thought that before the pandemic there were too many restaurants you know i think most people would say there's oversupply you know you know we we talked you know previously about walking down a given you know major sort of street in in central london and finding the same you know brand um you know four or five times in in the space of you know one and a half kilometers you know and that yeah i, I can see the logic you know locations are important and you want to capture footfall on that but but then you know you, you you kind of it's overkill right you you know people are you know saying is there anywhere else for me to go for lunch for god's sake you know like it's just you know it's um too many people trying to capture that lunchtime trade and um and too many similar businesses as well you know so um next to each other and, and so on so i think i think um you know there's definitely room for new entrants now new concepts look at Look at the people who are returning to the UK market. I mean, I know these were planned a lot. Of, you know, Wendy's was planned before the pandemic, right? But um, you know, they're coming here big time, right? So um, you know, I talk to some younger people now, and they they go, "Wow, I didn't know you could have square burgers." You know, uh, <laughs> but you know, we we grew up knowing Wendy's, right? So if you went to the US regularly, and and they're what the number two or number three player in the US, I'm not sure. Um, they're in the top three anyway um and um and then you know the other trend obviously is, is vegan some really amazing uh work being done there by 
at the sort of higher end by Gautier Soho and 123V, which is an incredible vegan sushi. Um, uh, you've got um, people actually producing incredible vegan food, which is actually healthy. But then, you know, you have to be careful because there's a lot of very unhealthy vegan food, which is heavily processed and probably worse than than eating meat, right? So, um, or, or bad meat or highly processed meat or, 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 or whatever. So that's a trend that's, it's exploded. I mean, you know, uh, Subway, they've got a vegan offering. M&S have got a massive vegan offering. Um, it's, it's no longer, you know, something that people are sort of dipping their toe in. They're going, they're going for it big time, you know, and, uh, and, that, and it's translated in new brands like Neat Burger and and so on that um, you know have have the money and uh, to expand and, and, and so I think it's fascinating. It's a fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating couple of years. Um, if we in the end of the conversation, Eddie, you know, uh, I'll turn the the light over it because you really covered the industry right. In, in so many aspects and what's going on, but we're really interesting to hear as well, like, you know, you've been involved in the industry for, for decades. How do you actually, you know, you know, show up pro, grow and keep on growing, develop yourself, keep on being curious of learning because you said, I've been around the block a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I you know, I'm lucky that in, I learned a methodology very early on, which people, you know, it's it's actually the scientific method, right? It's it's basic stuff, right? I mean, it should be taught at primary school level, um, and it's yeah, nothing is is foolproof and and so on. But it's now sort of people articulate as evidence based this, evidence based that, you know. But it, it, it's it's you know, in France, for example, they they you know, you do philosophy at school, you know, and and that's one of the things that you do as part of that. It's not high level stuff, but it. So it just makes you think in a different way. So I've always gone out of my way to to effectively do research or constantly read, look at what's going on. You know, you're not you shouldn't be passive and wait for content to be served to you. You need to go out and find it, you know, and it's all out there. And now there's no excuse because most people have access to the internet. And you know, there's podcasts like yours. The, you know, the, your, your sport for choice. I guess the difficulty is actually filtering, and you know. But then, you know, the more you do it, the better you become. You can't, you can't know know everything. But if you're trying to understand something like, you know, the commoditization of food, which is something that happens, you know, where you have an ingredient that's actually an artisan ingredient, or it's something that's produced on a very rare and small scale. So something like wagyu, which is now everywhere. Um, but you know, only maybe one percent of it is actually a very special product, and the rest of it is just they're commoditized. You know, they're trying to make it's like, let's let's give everyone wagyu. You know, I mean, you know, wagyu was actually for sale in um, Asda uh, a few years ago. They decided to launch a you know, but it, it you know, uh, with all due respect, it was it's not a very good product. But um, because the reality, if you want to produce this beef, this high end beef, and, and I was involved, you know. Um, as a shareholder of a butcher, so I've tried practically everything and um, uh, understand the supply chain very well and so on. Um, you you know if you want to, if you want to sort of lower the price of something and and you have to do sort of mass production really. You know, so 
that's why you have those feedlots in 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 the US and other countries you know where you know you, you look in the horizon and you you can't see anything but heads of cattle you know um and and they're they're fed grain and and which is not their natural diet and so on and then yeah then everyone can have this product but it's not good for you um and yeah there's some things that you can't commoditize by definition you know you can't you can't um in the same way that you know you you, you can only have one mona lisa right you can't produce a million of them i know that people are trying to do that with nfts which is very very interesting very interesting areas and a very I, i'm more interested in um, nfts than i'm interested in block um bitcoin um i think that um that's that's a it's a classic example of the, the capital system now seeing what how they can sweat assets you know and um and the nft business is just unbelievable you know and um you know maybe next year we'll see you know nfts of burgers you know selling from for 10 times more than an actual burger but uh <laughs> I don't know. that's a joke by the way but i, I um yeah so i think i think um be curious and don't accept anything at face value and question everything and um do your homework as, as uh, my parents used to say to me and by that they meant just keep looking at things and and, and looking for different different angles you know um there's not there's not that many new things under the sun i think if you've been around for a while you'll see something come up and people present it as a great new idea but you know you you you've got a strong involvement in mcdonald's and you know mcdonald's you know you probably taught you a lot about restaurant operations and you see things come up now and you say well you know mcdonald's were doing that 25 years ago um and they cracked it then you know so because you know right yeah, and I agree on that as well. But I would think it was really interesting what you said there. What I was hearing as well was that it's your responsibility to grow and develop yourself. It's And you need to go out and hunt it. And of course, you know, there's always an element. The framework in an employment situation have to be there. But deep down, if you want to grow and develop and you want to become a better version of yourself, you just have to go and seek that information. Especially today, I agree that that's... The amount of free information that's there is insane. Uh, and the people you can actually hear it from that's done things themselves. And I think that's really the interesting thing. People that's implemented ideas or hacked ideas and found different ways of, of doing things. Um, uh, one of the last questions I always ask the guests, uh, Dino, is that uh, what are your top three advice for um, leaders out there in the industry? uh trying to find a new way in a uh, in all this uh uncertainty there still is but what is your top three advice you want to give to them well i guess related to what what i've just been talking about i think being open-minded and looking everywhere every which way to try and find uh inspiration ideas and 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 facts you know the facts are quite important um and i think um now more than ever it's clear that um the way you treat staff is very is very important um be inclusive you know look at diversity and look at you know the the, the source of um innovation is often within your own four walls no matter how big or small a business you are you know so if you're um 
you know, um, a QSR brand with you know, literally thousands of um, outlets. There are people in your business that can add a huge amount of value, feedback, um, you know, you should, so you should create an environment that allows that to flow upwards, not just keep pushing stuff down all the time. Um, and I guess the final thing is it's um, sometimes called kindness or mindfulness or, or whatever. I think um, the old stick with no carrot approach, um, I don't think it's tenable anymore. I think, um, you know, um, trying to run a business like, um, you know, uh, the, the British Army in the 18th century is, is probably, you know, command and control and all that. Um, not sure that's going to work. Um, there's, there's a lot of work being done on, on, on looking at businesses and, and, and how they, they, um, they uh, manage their human resource. People say people are our most important asset, our most important resource and that, but then it doesn't translate into any action. Um, so it's something you need to look at. Maybe you've got it. You know, there's the, there are plenty of businesses where they look like I, I think they've cracked it, but others where it, it may explain why they have certain problems, you know. So, um, in, you know, you're in, in a competitive situation for labor. Um, you need to get your act into gear, you know, simple as that. Yeah, and I agree. It's, it's often also that it's also accepting that you might need a plan for this. It's also that as the people is not something that having a great supporting strategy or practices in place for people, you need to spend quite a huge amount of time on getting that right. And you referred to Honestburger before. They, they really spend time on that people equation in their business to get it right and make it different, not just right. They, they realize that, you know, human resources is not about compliance. You know, you know, some some companies have an HR department that's making sure, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, don't do this, do that, do that. It's also um, about development and it's also about feedback and making sure that you're able to leverage your, your human resources. You have brilliant people in that business you may not know about. If they're not encouraged to speak up, then they'll end up doing it somewhere else, right? Yeah, yeah. I know that was a very good distinction uh, on you know what what is the role of HR you came with there. I really like that as well because you know it's not about compliance; it's about how do you actually unleash that potential of your people and your business at the same time. Um, uh, anything that you would have wished I've asked you, Dino, in this conversation, and uh, if there was, what would you have answered? You didn't ask me how I ended up writing a book on Italian. Um food <laughs> completely accidental no plan never never had any aspirations to write it uh, a, a good friend of mine simon majumdar who is a big star now in the us on the food network uh, he's a food writer and broadcaster and podcaster he's got an amazing podcast called eat my globe which i recommend and he um he used to work in publishing but on the commercial side and then he i, I hope I hope he doesn't mind me saying so. He had a bit of a midlife crisis and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I actually want to write books. And because of his knowledge and all that, he managed to get an amazing book deal, which his first book was called, I think, In My Globe, where he traveled all around the world eating. And they paid him a good advance, and he wrote his first book. He also met his life partner there, or his second life partner, um, a lovely lady. He was a human rights lawyer, and they live in um, 
Los Angeles and um, he has a Hollywood agent and everything. He's great. And uh, anyway, he started the blue. He introduced me to somebody at Penguin Random House. And we had lunch and, you know, we just had a chat for two hours and a nice meal. And at the end of it, he said, I want you to write a book on Italian food. That was it. Um, and some of my friends, you know, who wanted to be food writers and that, they're, they're writing all the time, you know, um, synopsis of books they want to write and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's very difficult, you know, um, uh, to penetrate sort of uh, publishers and so on. And um, I guess it's, it's sometimes um, push is not always the best way. And, and, you know, I must have done something that attracted somebody to, to say, well, you know, you've got an interesting angle on, on that. And, I, you know, I said I wanted to write a book that was different and that, that uh, got rid of lots of myths around Italian food. And I was quite angry and passionate about it. And I think that's what, you know, um, made him go for it. And, um, you know, within a month, I had a contract with an advance and, and so on. So that was tough to do, you know, whilst, you know, uh, having a uh, full-time job and a non-executive uh, role as well. But um, I really put my head down. I used to work from 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning to get it done. Um and it was it was extremely satisfying at the end, and it's always nice to hear from people who enjoy the book um, or don't, you know, for that matter. But um, uh, it's it's a way of, you know, uh, passing on knowledge and and uh, getting feedback, which is great, which I'm sure you get from your um, great work with Hospitality Mavericks. Yeah, uh, and that was a very good one, uh, Dino. Yeah, that uh, because I know you've written a, a book, but uh, it's a very, very good question why I didn't ask you, you that. Um, and the power of writing, you know, I try to write 15 minutes every day, not something, just different things I'm interested in. And then sometimes comes something out of it, incredible enough, and it gives you clarity and it uh, and it gives you, and it creates creativity as well. It's uh, the power of writing, if I should add anything to that. Where can people find you online, Dino, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to know more about you? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, probably the easiest way to, to you know, from a business side of things is, is, is on LinkedIn. I'm very up to date on LinkedIn. And you send a request, I'll, I'll always reply. And uh, uh, I'm also on, on the social media side. I'm, I'm active on uh, Instagram. That's mainly pictures of what I eat. and um, occasionally my cat um and family uh but it's mostly about food and uh, um, i was very early into twitter you know in the, in the first probably few months of twitter uh and linkedin as well so i'm i'm, I'm an early adopter of, of um, social media uh, i'm actually on tiktok but i don't do anything um i'm not a very good dancer so um um i sometimes um i, I open an account because my kids had it and then i I find sometimes I get people send me stuff, so it's a way of viewing stuff. But I'm not I'm not a content producer on TikTok. But you know, you never know. Maybe things will change, and uh, you'll see me doing a crazy dance on my um, uh, uh, kitchen table um, to um, Danish folk music. <laughs> yeah, that that will be a good one. That will be a good one. Uh, I'm not on I'm not on TikTok yet, so uh, you are definitely ahead of me. So you are you're definitely more progressive than I am. Uh, I just can't manage any more channels in my head. So uh, 
but but Dino, thank you so much for taking your time out to to talk about the the industry. We both have a huge passion about. We were talking about food. We're talking about tech. We're talking about people, and we talked about the the future of hospitality. Thank you so much. Thank you again. It's uh, it's been an honor to be uh, invited on your podcast, and I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much, Dino, for your great story and lots of advice operators can use to navigate the current environment. I recommend you now to ask yourself, what can I do to develop myself so I'm ready to deal with anything that comes my way in the coming years? To get further inspiration on how to improve your self-leadership, tune in to episode 95 with Ali Gordon, coach and mentor on your belief system. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. Be maverick.